Bradford spoke on last night, um, but we do have different approaches. And there's some things that he went deeper into last night um, that I'm not going to today because of some things that we feel like just um, God's leading us to speak on today at Waynesburg. And so there's opportunities to take and listen to the podcast from last night so you can hear some clarity on some things. He going, last night went into some very detail about how we function as a church when it comes to finances, what we've got set up in our leadership structure. And so if you're into that, you like those details of details and, and those types of things, that'd be a great podcast for you to listen to today. So I'm just going to mention them briefly. And uh, so I just wanted to mention that to you as well. So is that cool? Well, just as you know, um, so Project Hope has been the sermon series. Um, our theme verse that we've been using here um, uh, at times at the Williamsburg campus is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also tagged along with that in the, in the first week that we opened it up in Hebrews chapter 6. It says this in verse 19. We have this assure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we went through and talked about those a little bit, and um, you can listen to that. I spoke that both here and at the Newport News campus, and because I'm a little ADD, they're both different sermons on the same points. They're awesome, so listen to them both, but um, just to get the depth of those things. Um, but the main point, the main reality of, of what we talked about in that is, is that the source of our hope determines the certainty of our confidence. And, and as you look through that and you look through the scriptures, that in Romans chapter 15, a lot of times and you compare that with Jesus being the anchor of our souls, what we talked about a lot is that we try to find confidence in a lot of different things in life. We have opportunity to find confidence, to find hope in a lot of different things. That could be our job security, it could be our family, it could be relationships, it could be um, just our own personal identity, or, 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 or a lot of different things that are available to us in life to say, hey, that gives me a sense of hope, or that gives me a sense of confidence. But if we do not have that sense of confidence, that source of hope is not God, is not Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, then it is the wrong source of hope, and at some point, it will lead us astray. At some point, it will actually cause us harm instead of benefit. So in, in a moment, you can find security in something. You can get a new job or get a new spouse or, or whatever else. And you can find security in that. You can find strength in that. But at some point, you're like, whoa, didn't sign up for this. Didn't know this came along with it. But our source of hope, when it is God, when it is Jesus, that is a source of hope that gives us joy. It's the source of hope that gives us peace. It's a source of hope that anchors us in any situation, no matter what takes place, no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter anything that's taking place, we find a sense of confidence and certainty in Jesus Christ. And so the source of our hope determines the certainty of our confidence. Then as we've gone on for the past couple weeks, and as Pastor Fred's been speaking at both campuses, and, and, and little divide, just going deeper into that thought, we've been talking about and having a conversation, and I know even for me in my own life, this has been, been big for me, and just my own walk with God as I go through and, and, and have my time with God throughout the week, that, that there's a sense that hope has, there's, there's the emotion of hope, that we go through every day, right? That we go through and we, we have lunch break and we're like, okay, I'm going to go out to eat today. I hope I don't get stuck in the drive through forever and then I have to eat it super fast and get indigestion, right? So there's that sense of hope, right? I hope that today they make me the wrong size of coffee and I get a venti instead of a tall, right? Th those types of hope, you have this emotion type of hope. And, and so we could think that. I hope today that I can love my kids and not want to throw them out the window, right? Those different types of hopes um, that we could have. It's an emotion. I see a lot of nod, head nodding on that one, right? But then there's this virtue of hope. There's this virtue of hope. Pastor Fred's been using a verse in, in, um, in Romans and also in 1 Peter, but this virtue of hope, that there's a sense that, that in Christ, in God, we have a sense to hope when there could be no reason to hope at all. That there, our source of hope is something that gives us a reason to stand confident. And then when people come and they're just like, hey, everything's falling apart in your life. Like, your life is a complete mess right now. And you're like, thank you very much. I'm glad that you've noticed that. Like, but you, there's a sense, there's something about you. There's joy in your life. There's, there's a consistency in your life that I wouldn't be able to have. What is that? And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says that in those moments that we should be ready to tell people why we have that hope that we have. 
that hope is a confident hope in Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an anchor to us. That no matter how good things are, how bad things are, that there's a sense of confidence that God has us and he's keeping us where we are. That he's taking care of us and that he has a plan for us. And so we've been talking about as followers of Christ that it's okay for us to use the word of hope in an emotional sense. That we can have a hope that we want something to be some way or in our own personal life and situations that we have a hope that things can turn out. And in reality, that very thing is what defines us as human, that we have this ability to hope and to see the future and to want it to be different. It makes us distinct above any other uh, living thing that exists. It doesn't know, right? Animals, they're instinctive. Whatever they see is what's going to happen, right? It's just, it is what it is. But for us, no matter what our circumstances are, we can have a chance to look at it and say, it is this, but man, I hope it to be that. And that very reality is what makes us human, and that very thing is what gives us the ability to have faith and attach our hopes to God. And so as we go through and we look at this, is that we want to be people that not just have a sense that we just hope as a wish, but that we hope as a virtue. That we say, you know what, I, I know that if I'm pursuing God and his will, and he's revealing his will to me, that I can have confidence and that I can be sure of who God is and what he has for me in this moment. And that it's a virtue that there's a consistency, there's a steadfastness to who he is and who he shows through us in those moments to be. And so that's what we've been talking about, and that's, that's been a, a real quick snapshot of our sermon series just to kind of catch you up. And last week we um, started talking about a conversation that we're going to have for um, uh, next week or so after this is, is just this hope for generosity. That when you have a hope in Christ, that it should spring up in you something that says, everything I have to give is not my own to give. And it causes you to say, man, I just want to give generously. I want to give, as the scripture says, liberally. And so that's what we are today, and that's where we're going to be picking up. So let's pray real quick before we go any further. God, we thank you, Lord. And I just pray uh, in this moment as we open up your word, God, that it's you that's speaking. God, I pray, Lord, in, the, in this moment, Lord, that my mouth become an instrument of yours and that your spirit be the one that leads and directs this conversation. God, your word is what gives life. Your word is what gives faith. And we pray, Lord, that in this moment that we will hear it and hear it from you. God, I pray, Lord, that you help us just to be directed toward the things that you have for us and the life that you want us to live through Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, as we talk about giving, let us not be distracted by anything but let us find the freedom, let us find the generosity of your love and of your grace and your mercy in this conversation. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we talk about this conversation about giving, uh, this discussion for, you know, for Michelle and I, it's, it's a deep and ongoing personal conversation for us um, because it's been something that we've had a conversation about before we even got married. It's been something that, that's ongoing for us as, as leaders in the church where we've seen it talked about in, in a wrong way so many times. We've seen it lived out in people's lives in a wrong way so many times. Uh, and we've had a misunderstanding of it in so many different ways and times that, that this, this conversation of giving for us, it's not really this conversation about uh, receiving. And I think a lot of times we get struck, stuck in that stream a lot of times when we're talking about giving is, is that, okay, if I give, then you know what, God's supposed to give to me. And, and, and it, that's where we just get stuck is in that thought. And we've all been in places right before where we've, we've given and it's like, okay, God, I feel like you're speaking to me. You give $50 right now and I don't have $50 to give and so I'm going to give 50 bucks and you put it in the offering. All right, God, I'm going to see what's going to happen. And, and then you go a week later and you're 50 bucks poor and nothing's changed, right? Right, we've been in this, right? It's okay to say that, right? You've all been in that, don't, right? It's okay. We've been there, we've done that. And we're just like, well, what are those moments? If I give in faith, then God should be supposed to give back to me. And it's this idea that, we, that giving is about receiving. And really, for me, the conversation is not so much about receiving, but it's about an awareness. It's awareness of who God is, and it's awareness of who I am in God through Jesus Christ. And, and so for me, one of the best ways to encapsulate that whole thought is just to, to share a story with you that happened to us in 2006. Uh, Michelle and I were, um, we were 
happily married uh, just for a couple years. Brayden was about a year old. Uh, we had been living in Lakeland, Florida, um, which, you know, some people are like, you lived in Florida. It was awful. God delivered us from Florida, and so we were excited about that. And uh, we were working at a church um, part-time, and we were working at, I was working at a university there uh, full-time. And, and really, you know, for us, it was just beginning to be way too much to try to do the demands of both. And so we were like, God, what do you have for us? And so uh, God opened this door that just, out of nowhere for us to go and to be executive pastors at a church in North Carolina. And so we were just like, this is awesome. This is what God has for us. We're going to go do that. And, and uh, it's in eastern North Carolina. And so I'm like, I get to eat eastern North Carolina barbecue, whatever I want to. I was excited about this. Have real sweet tea, right? Real hush puppies. I'm like, this is going to be amazing stuff, right? And so uh, we're there and we're talking to them, you know, and I was like, what's the best barbecue place? And they said, well, there's Parker's, which is a great barbecue place. It's one of the most famous ones, right? And I was like, oh, that's cool. And there's like, but there's this one down the street and there's this guy he opens up at 11 o'clock and he just whenever his doors open as soon as people get there they start taking the food and whenever it's sold out it's sold out and he closes his door for the day that's the way it is it's just one big grill he's just a big old dude and he's back there cooking over the grill his sweat's falling into it and he's just cooking it and I was like dude that sounds amazing right and so uh, but so I was just like this is exciting so we were excited we were pumped you know just to step into full-time ministry and just to do that and and together as a family and uh, so we were there for about um, two months and um, and and I had this uh, cold that came on to me, and it just would not go away, right? It was just one of those things that would not go away. And if I don't know, any of you guys are like me, uh, you're stubborn, and the doctor is like a last resort thing. Any guys, you with me on that, right? All right, so you're just like, drink NyQuil, you know, a whole bottle two times a day, and if that doesn't help, then sleep, right? If that doesn't help, go for a run, right? Just do dumb things, right? Just maybe it'll go away at some point, and then if that doesn't work, you finally go to the doctor. And so that's kind of where I was at, battling this cold for like a month, and it was just getting to the point like you're going through a box of Kleenexes a day, right? Just blowing stuff out and everybody was like, dude, go to the doctor. Just yelling down the hallway. I'm sick of hearing that. So one day I was, I was in bed and I woke up, uh, which I mean I was in bed every day at some point. But um, I woke up one morning and when I woke up in the morning, my head was just splitting. I mean the worst headache I've ever had in my life. And so I'm laying in bed, and my head's just killing me, and I, I go to stand up to get out of bed, and as I stand up, I just feel the entire world just go like this. And I fall into the wall, and then I just slide down the wall, and I'm just like laying there, and I look over at Michelle, and she's asleep, and I'm like, well, that's awesome. And so like I, I get up, and I'm kind of like stumbling and like holding on to things to walk, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? I was like... I don't remember last night being that crazy. And so, like, I was just like, what is happening right now? And so then I go in, and, like, my stomach is just killing me. Like, I mean, just horrible, just, like, hunger pangs, you know? I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And so I go in there, and when, when you're dizzy and you're not feeling well, you shouldn't start cooking, but that's what I did, right? And so I, I was in there, and I was just, like, going through the fridge, and I was just throwing eggs in the thing. I was like, just maybe eggs will help. I just got to get something in my stomach. So I'm eating, and then finally my stomach starts feeling a little bit better, but I'm just sitting there just like, oh, my goodness. I do not feel good. And Michelle comes out finally, you know, and she finally wakes up. And so, you know, she comes out and she looks at me and she goes, um, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I don't really feel good. And she's like, you don't look very good at all. And I was like, really? And so what, I, I don't know what was going on at this point, but somehow this eye right here was literally swollen shut. Like so much of my eyebrow was like actually like down here, right? And, and because I was walking, you know, dizzy and all those things, I was walking around like the hunchback from Notre Dame, you know what I'm saying? And just like looking all just crazy and eyes all swollen. And she's just like, yeah, I think we should go to the doctor. So I walk into the doctor's like this clinic. We walk in and I'm like, you know, and I got glasses on, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like walking in, you know, it's like morning time. I got sunglasses walking in the building, just call it hunched over or whatever. I take my glasses off and they're like, hey, yeah, we're not going to see you here, right? You need to go to radiology. And we're like, what? Like, I mean, that's weird when you go into a doctor's office and they're just like, hey, yeah, you need to go somewhere a little bit more important because you're not doing well, right? And we're just like, that's weird, okay. And so we, we go to radiology, and as we're driving over there, you know, I feel like I'm on this tiny little John boat in the middle of the sea, right? I mean, it's just, I'm just all messed up. And so as we walk into the radiology building, the eggs that I had eaten to settle my stomach had now just erupted in my stomach, and they were just trying to find a way out. And so walk into this place, 
right, and walk into the radiology, and they're just like, hey, come back with us. They're not, I mean, come on, when you go to a doctor's office, you don't have to sign paperwork, right? You don't have to have a wait. You don't, they're just, hey, we have a room ready for you. We want you to come back. Something's not right, right? Something's not right. And so I, our medical system's not this efficient. No offense to doctors and nurses, but come on, you're with me, right? And this is like, this something's not right. And so I, we go back into radiology, and they take me back there. They do some CAT scans, and they do all this different stuff. And they take me out, and they have Michelle sitting in the hallway, and there's these chairs that were sitting right there. And, and I can see them even right now, and, and Michelle's sitting in the chair, and there's a nurse sitting next to her, and, and this nurse is walking me, and the doctor's walking with us real slowly, and they sit me down in the chair next to Michelle, and, and they look at us, and they're just like, hey, so we've got a room available for you over in the ER. You need to head there right away. And... If, if you can make a commitment to us that you're going to drive there, I mean, it's literally right across the street. And like, if you can make a commitment that you're going to drive straight there, there's doctors that are going to be waiting for you there. And we're just like, <laughs> um, I got sinus infection or something? Like, just some Sudafed or something? I mean, what are you talking about, right? And so, so they're just like, hey, you just need to go. If you can't make that commitment, like, we're, we're going to have an ambulance and you have to go you know, an ambulance, and we're just like, it's across the street, we can do this, right? So we go, and we walk into the hospital, we walk into the ER, and when we walk into the ER, they're like, are you Mr. Bell? And I'm like, okay, seriously, what is going on here? This is not happening in an emergency room, right? And so they take us back straight into a room in the emergency room, no wait again, no, and I'm just like, what in the world is happening? And so they lay me down in a bed, and then this nurse comes in, they start hooking me up to an IV and all this different stuff, and then, then they give me a shot of morphine to start helping with the pain, which morphine does not work well in my body, and they didn't tell me they were doing morphine, so morphine actually does the opposite, it like intensifies pain for me, so that was a real fun moment. And so I'm just sitting there just like, what is happening right now? What is taking place? And, and so then they switched me to Percocet, and all things got well at that moment. And so <laughs> Um, and so, like, it, you know, I was just like, what is happening? I don't know what's taking place. I don't understand. And so, long story short, and you're like, if this could get any longer, it could, I promise. <laughs> in, that, like, in that moment, what happened was I had a sinus infection that found a hole in one of my sinus cavities and spread to my brain. My brain had begun to swell, right? And in doing that, there was, there was a, uh, I always get this word wrong, so just go with it, but it was either an abscess or whatever it is, right? There was, there was, there was a, a section of my brain that was, there's an abscess in there, and then also, too, because of the brain separating from the skull, a blood vessel had popped, and there was a blood clot, right? Which, if you know anything about the brain, that's not good, right? So that's why they're all freaking out. And so then I have this doctor that's like, literally, hey, you, if we don't do something quickly, you have 24 hours, that if we don't do something, your brain's not going to be able to handle the pressure. And this could be terminal for you. So we need to drill into your skull and relieve this pressure. And I'm just like, huh. <laughs> I thought I had a cold. <laughs> right? So they go through it and, and, and you know, go through this whole thing. And I end up being in the hospital for nine days and, and have, you know, this this. I have a pick line. I still got a scar, and, you know, for a pick line for three months after the surgery. I was having to give myself uh, antibiotic shots every three hours. And it was this crazy, crazy ordeal. I got, you know, somebody drilled a hole in my skull, but I don't have a scar to show for it. I was really mad about that. Because <laughs> I woke up, and I was, like, expecting some big, awesome scar, you know. But, like, yeah, I had brain surgery. And then I, like, took the Band-Aid off, like, through. I was like, what happened? That's, that's a bummer. But anyway, so... So we go through, here's the crazy thing about this is, is that, is that as this happened, we had just started a new job. It was four days before our insurance kicked in. So we had all of this stuff happen, went into the ER, had brain surgery without any insurance, right? So we're sitting there just looking at the situation, and we start getting the bills, and it's just overwhelming, it's overwhelming. I mean, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of different things. It's amazing what they charge just for toilet paper and room space. But, you know, you're going through and you're just looking at this and you're just like, what in the world is happening? I mean, here we are trying to say, God, we want to do your will. Here we are saying, God, I want to walk out in what you have for us. God, we're being faithful. You know, there's a risk in us taking the job because it, when we talked to the church, they couldn't exactly afford just for us to be comfortable. They were like, here you can. We're like, eh, Raymond noodles, we can do that on that. So let's do that. And so, you know, we're, we're stepping out in faith. We're taking this sense of risk and saying we're willing to give whatever it takes. And then I end up in the hospital with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And I'm like, what? in the world is happening. My sense of understanding of God's 
kingdom and his economy was super rocked in that moment, right? I was expecting this sense that if I step out and do these things, that it's just supposed to be easier, or it's at least if there is a challenge, that challenge is brief, and then it's over, and I can always see the way through. But I found myself in this dark, difficult spot where I could not see a way out. And in fact, the deeper we got into it, the darker that it got into it. The easy part was sitting in a hospital, right, because Percocet helped out a lot. But the easy part was just saying, hey, you know, okay, that's fine. This is what we've got. But then getting out afterwards and saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how these things are going to take place in our lives anymore. And I don't have anything to give to this, but then I still have so much that I want to give to God's kingdom and what he's called me to do. This doesn't make sense. And I found in those moments that we find ourselves flat on our back and absolutely, completely lost of what to do are the moments that we can begin to see things the absolute clearest. And so I found myself in that spot, and we found ourselves as a couple really Having God be able to speak to us about who he is, about his faithfulness, about his ability to provide for us. As we've gone through, and I'll share the story some other time about how God's pulled us all through that. But for us, one of the things that we refused to waver on was our giving to God. It was taking and saying, God... Our first, what we have, we can have this mountain of bills, we can have all of these things, but there is this thing that I have to make sure that I'm giving to you, and it's our first. And we believe that when we give that to you, that you, no matter how crazy this is, you're going to take care of everything else. And Pastor Fred talked about this last week, that there's this portion, and we believe as a church that there's a portion that we should set aside, that we give as our tithe to God, that we say everything that we have is his, none of it is ours, and what we give back to him is our tithe. We say we're going to take and a tithe as a 10%, and we take that and give that back to God. And so that is the portion, and that portion for us has never been on the table as a thing that's optional. It's always been a thing on the table as this starts everything. This is the beginning discussion of our finances, that this 10%, that's it, everything else we've got to figure out from there. And that's the conversation that we've always had. And that conversation has shaped so much for her and I. We now are standing in a place where you look at this unsurmountable debt that's just like, oh my goodness, there's no way we'll ever get over that. I can't really fully tell you how, but we're standing here right now just two months ago. Was it two months ago or three months ago? We made the final payment on everything. So we no longer owe the hospital or anybody anything, right? Just after that. And I'm telling you, I've been in ministry. I don't have enough salary, right, to do that, to pay that off. But God's made a way and he's made things happen. And it's not just because we've sat back and said, you know what? I believe that because if I give that I'm going to receive something. But in that moment, what showed me is, is that in that moment, for me to say, no, what, what I look at and what I see surrounding me, what my circumstances are, what my needs are, what my desires are, that's not going to shape how I view life and view my responsibility of living my life out for Christ. What's going to shape all of those things is who God is, what he's done for me, and I'm going to stay faithful in set, setting out and living the life that he lived and that he modeled for me, and that he showed me to live. And so that is what shaped us and showed us. And so as you go through, I've got so much I want to hit today, and I don't know how much I'm going to hit, so hopefully you can stay with me. So I just might repeat Pastor Fred's sermon from last week, just because it was so good. So the portion we never set aside, right? We never, that's always, it's, it's committed for us. Then there's this thing that Pastor Fred talked about, about the consequence, there's this consequence that, that if you read scripture, there's you know, scripture and he read out of Malachi and it talks about blessing and curse. And, and I think he did a great job of explaining what, what that means. It's, it's that if you step outside of, of something like giving and you step into this place and, and scripture defines it as being cursed. It's not the sense that God's sitting up there to saying, ha, huh, got you now, sucker. I'm going to, you know, like, you know, <laughs> you're going to get a cold that's going to spread to your brain, right? That's not what that means, right? What it means is, is that when we're in God's grace and we're saying this is what you've asked me to do this is what my responsibility is and we do that with a heart of generosity we do that with a heart saying god i want to live my life for you that we're in his favor that we're in his protection that we're we're walking in his goodness and it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us but it means that even if they do happen to us that god's got us and he's going to keep us and there's that sense of what we talked about in romans 15 this joy and this peace that overfills us and overwhelms us Man, in that situation, when Michelle and I went through, there was never a sense of doubt or worry. Either we're really stupid or God was really with us. 
That though there was moments where it's difficult, we never shed a tear necessarily over the money, right? We never fought over the money. We're just like, God's going to take care of it. It's going to work out somehow. Not because I give, but because he's God and he's faithful and he cares for me. Right? So there's this awareness of who God is, and, and there's this awareness of his faithfulness and his goodness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this, starting verse 6. My point is this, the person who sows sparingly will reap also sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. This word right here, generously, the, the Greek word that's used there, um, it, it, its meaning is a praise or laudation of Christ or God. So it's this praise to God. So if you sow praise to God, right, if you take what you have in your possessions of your time, all of your resources, your energy, if you sow those as praise to God, then you will reap back, another, another meaning this word translated as is blessing. That when you sow praise, you reap blessing. It doesn't necessarily equate when you sow $100 that you're going to get 1000 back, right? Maybe that happens. If it does, that's awesome. Go for it. But maybe that won't happen. Does that mean that we give or we don't give? No, what it means is, is that we're aware of who God is. We're aware of what he's done. We're aware that all that we have is his. And so I want to take all that I have and I want to give it to him as praise. I want to take, take all of my resources, not just sitting there and say, okay, here's the 10% that's yours and this is mine. But I go through and I say, God, I'm giving you this first as a dedication to say, this is yours. That I want to live my life, every area of my life, the most personal, intimate things that affect everything else. It's yours first because the rest of it, the 90%, it's not just mine to keep. I want your favor on it. I want your blessing on it. I want your hand to be guiding me and directing me in how I spend that 90%. Does that make sense? So you take this sense of, I want to give praise to you. It's not just like, oh, okay, I got to do this 10%. Here you go. But it's a, oh, God, I get to worship you. And I'm sowing this praise. I'm sowing this thing because I know you're going to sow blessing into me. And it might be financial blessing. It might just be the blessing of your presence. It might just be the blessing of a relationship of somebody else that can speak in my life. But you, you know what's going to be needed in a moment. And you're going to bless me and you're going to care for me in those moments. And then it goes on this in verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that, you, so that because you have enough of everything, in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. It's exactly what I was just saying. Verse 9. Just as it is written, he is scattered widely and he is given to the poor, his righteousness forever. Now God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for the... For the food will provide and multiply your supply and seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. Now here's where it gets interesting to me. In verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion. Which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. Because the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing with many thanks to God. That word right there in verse 11, generous, you would think it's the same word, but he changes it up. It's a different word. This word right here, it's, it's, hap, it's haplotes, and it says this. This definition means it's, it's singleness and a simplicity of mind, a sincerity. Listen, when you sow praise in what you have and you give it to God as praise and as worship that he blesses you with a singleness of mind, that you say, God, I'm, I'm going to live just for you. No matter what I have, no matter what's asked, it's, it's just focused on you and it's focused on what you want me to do. That God's grace allows you to be so aware of who he is and what he wants you to do. That he graces you with the ability to have this one set mindset. I'm living my life for God and God alone. That you're able to do it with sincerity. You're able to do it with confidence. That you're able to do it with simplicity. Man, some of the most generous people that I've ever met in my life, giving for them is not complicated, Right? Some of those people that are sitting there just struggling with generosity, struggling with giving, everything in their life is complicated, right? When I have my own life, I look at that and I look at the situations where it's just like, wow, everything seems to be falling apart, right? The car is falling apart. All these things are happening, all this different stuff. It's usually when I'm struggling in this area of like, okay, how much do I give and when do I give and why do I give? And I'm having all these inner struggles and I'm preaching to myself. But when I have the singleness, you know, everything I have is God's. Everything is his, and, and I'm giving it as worship to him, and that, that he's blessed me with all that I have. Why is this a battle? And I just give it to him with that way that he comes, and it, it just makes things simpler. It doesn't 
remove situations, but it makes them simpler because there's a sense of peace and joy as I walk through them. Are you guys with me on this? All right. So that was just my introduction. All right, real quick, we're going to look through this. Luke. Luke chapter 4. So why this is such a meaningful discussion, I mean, honestly, just, just for me, is I, I believe that this discussion, this conversation, you know, a lot of times we struggle with it when, we're, when you're a preacher and you struggle with it as somebody sitting in here because it's dealing with money and finances and there's so many different views on that. There's so many things that have been misconstrued and done poorly with when it comes to the church, when it comes to money. You know, but for me... This idea of giving, this idea of saying, I want to live for God. And that's what this whole thing's about. And money, for each and every one of us, money is extremely personal. And, and how much we have and how much we don't have determines everything else in our life. In our culture, in our society, money is our source of hope. Our, our ability to find peace and joy is based on how much is in the bank account, how much is in the savings, and how much we know is going to be steadily coming in. The moment that's disrupted, all sense of peace and joy disappears. But what I see in Scripture is something completely contrary to that. When, when Paul is talking to, we're going to get in 2 Corinthians, hopefully in just a few minutes. But when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he's like, hey, there's going to be times that you have plenty, and there's going to be times that you don't. But with, there's this understanding in this conversation that regardless of how much you have or how little you have, that you have this single-minded focus that God is everything that you need. And because of that, it changes the way you see what you have. And so this is a huge conversation, not just about the responsibility of giving, but it's about our response in giving and why we give. So in Luke chapter 4, I think there's this, looking at the temptations of Christ and looking at the story, there's some things that I can just quickly, I think that just speaks to us when it comes to giving. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now this is a massive text. This is an important text. In Isaiah chapter um, 11, verses 2 uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing and go into it as much as I wanted to, but in Le- uh, Isaiah chapter 11, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The fact that this verse is put here after Christ had been baptized and the Spirit had descended on him, and now saying that Jesus was going to the desert with the Spirit on him, this is, again, signifying and showing that Scripture is communicating that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the one that was prophesied of, he is the one that was promised to us, and he is the one that we should look to as our source of hope, that he is the anchor of our souls. You can study that and read that on your own. Again, it's Isaiah chapter 11, but it goes on. Verse 2, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, Jesus ate nothing all, the, all that time and became very hungry. Listen, one of the things that I want to pull out to you, this just real quick, and I, I cannot escape this thought. I've been trying to not hit this because I don't want to go too deep into it. When, when you are looking at your life and you see moments of adversity and you see moments when you're struggling with your relationship with God, you see things that you wish were different in yourself or how you were living your life. One of the main components that can get us far from God and missing the will of God is isolation. Satan was able to tempt Jesus the way that he was because Jesus was isolated. Now he put himself in a place of isolation away from people, away from those that were closest to him, that knew his feelings, that could pray for him, that could help him, that could provide for him. In those moments, he put himself in that place because he knew the limits of his strength. We have to know the limits of our weakness. When we get into a place that we feel like that isolation is what is needed for us to figure things out, be weary. Because the last thing you need is to be alone. 
the last thing you need is to be isolated from the world. You need to put yourself in a place where you're positioned that those that God has placed in your life can speak into your life, can minister to your needs, and encourage you through prayer and and time. Isolation, putting yourself in a place where you say, I'm just going to go in a corner, I'm going to figure everything out on my own, could be the worst thing that you could ever do for yourself. If you find yourself struggling with your relationship with God, yes, you need to have moments of quiet time, not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is a refusal to be around people because you think you can do it on your own. That sense of isolation, it will destroy you. Jesus put himself in that place because he knew that he would come out the victor, right? We need to know our limits, and we need to refuse to put ourselves in that space. Whole another sermon on that one day, but I'm just telling you that was for somebody. All right. I got 10 minutes to finish this thing up. Verse 3. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become a lot a loaf of bread. But Jesus said to him, No, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. So in this we see that the very first thing that Satan comes and tempts Jesus with is his desires and his wants. As we go on and we read the rest of them, we see that Satan, the next thing that he does after he sees that that Jesus can't be tempted by desires and wants alone, he moves a little bit deeper because where those things can't work, Satan can usually catch us on the ambition, right? This this ambition, I want to be more, I want to do more, and maybe he can catch us on that, that maybe if you just step into this place and if you just take on this role or if you do this, or man, people are going to look at you differently, the sense of I can do this thing, the sense of just ambition, I, I, I need to do more, I need to accomplish more. Not that it's bad to be successful, not that it's bad to have a desire to to be more and to do more, but when it becomes this place that you're looking for that to be your sense of security, when you're looking for that to be your source of strength, our identity, it's a dangerous place to be at, and Satan can trip us up there a lot. And if that doesn't work, then the next thing he moved into is speaking directly to Jesus' ability to trust in God, to trust God's plan for his life. You see, Satan in the last one was tempting to say, hey, listen, you could do this. You could just take all these things and all this could happen. And it would stop everything that's going on right now and it could stop everything that's going to happen. You could do that. But Jesus in that moment had it aside. No, God's plan for me, God's placement of where he has me, God's will for me, God's want for me is exactly what I want for myself. Jesus had to set himself up and put himself in that place. And so why does this matter? Why does this all affect? Why am I pulling this out for us when it talks about giving? When it talks about finances? Because listen, again, I said it earlier, our finances are the very thing that affects every other area in our life. We can get tripped up on if we have enough or if we don't have enough to get distracted by what we want or what we think we should have based on either side. If you don't have any money, right, and you're just like, oh, if I could just have this, and if I could have this car, and have these clothes, and if I could just, whatever I needed to do to finally get enough money to have plugs for my hair so I could have hair again, right? Like, those wants and those desires that just give you the sense of, man, that would just make life better, right? Our wants and desires, we could be in that place. Or we can have enough, and we're just constantly just buying stuff because we have it, and we're trying to fill these desires. Same thing goes on if we look at it when our ambition I want to be better. So we, we start focusing on how much we make, what job we have, what it provides, what it gives us. And all of those things become our focus. That if I just get to this place, and if I can get to this position, then I can have the freedom to do the things in the church that I'm supposed to do. We start tricking ourselves and have these conversations with ourselves. Yeah, i got, I got to sacrifice all this stuff right now, and i got to put myself away from the church and the things that God could do in that moment. But, but in 20 years, I'm going to be in a totally different place and so successful that I can just give myself to the church completely. We completely miss what we're actually supposed to be doing. And we go through and we just confuse ourselves. And then us, honestly and lastly is that we trust in our own abilities. A lot of times when we look at our money and say, God wants us to do this or God wants me to be a part of this. And, but we look at our plan. We look at our kingdoms that we're building. We look at what's taking place, whether it's a lot or whether it's none. And we look at it and we say, man, this is, this is what I have. And God's asking me to do this. They don't necessarily line up. So do I trust God or do I trust myself? And we fall in that I trust myself more times than we should. I'm putting myself in that camp. We fall in this place of I trust myself. I'm going to take my own fate into my own hands instead of putting it in God's hands and say God knows best. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to walk this out with him. 
So if we look at this thing, as we can see the, the, the temptations that are there. We can see the realities that are pushing against us that could, to could nudge us in the wrong direction in many different aspects. Here's one thing that I want to pull away for, and I'm going to start closing with this, and the worship team can go ahead and come up. Is that when we look at these scripture verses, and we look at what Christ did, and we look at the temptations that we went through. One of the things I took a second to point out is, is that Jesus, knowing his strength, put himself in that place. See, Jesus, I, lo- I love the beautiful contrast of scriptures. That when we have this understanding of what we think what should happen and how the story should go, that oftentimes scriptures go the complete opposite way. See, Jesus, being God, being fully God, having everything and everything being created through him, having all riches, all glory, everything being in front of him, gave that all up and became poor. See, he placed himself in a position of poverty. He placed himself in a position of weakness because he knew how strong he was. And he knew that in giving himself to that, that he was giving us an opportunity of fullness, an opportunity of richness, an opportunity of blessing. See, when you go through and you look at the story, what it should do is excite and make us aware of what Christ has given us. See, when it comes to giving for me, it's not about what I have to do. It's not about the responsibility. It's about the response of my heart to who Christ is. It's about me saying this life isn't about what I do and what I can amass here in this world. This life is about how I can share and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in everything that I do. That I should live my life in a way that says I'm committed to God and I'm committed to the things that he's given me to be set up for him and for his glory. And that that's the way I live my life. And as I do that, I find this sense of freedom. I find this sense of joy. I find this sense of direction and purpose. And there becomes a simplicity in what I do because I'm saying, God, it's all yours. It's, it's yours and I'm just living for you. Because I realize how much you've given. You've given me not just some rules to follow, but you've given me the source of life. And when I follow the life that you've given me, and when I say, be Lord of my life, you've given me the freedom to live true life. And my willingness to give, my willingness to say, I'm opening up all that is mine for you. And it makes, it shows my awareness of who he is and what he's given me. And more I step into the depth of who he is and what he's given me, the more it makes me want to be generous and give him everything that I got. So giving shows us what this scripture, what this text shows us is, is everything that he gave that we no longer, he defeated Satan. You get to the end of this, in verse whatever it is, because I can't remember right now, you get to the end of the story right there, Satan's gone, he's disappeared. He's going to come back at another point. The truth, say would be true for us at some points. But in these things, in our ambitions and our desires pushing us and driving everything, in our ambitions and our ability to trust in faith, that battle is over when you are a child of God. Jesus has already had the victory in those things. That battle is over. You are free to live a life that God has given you the opportunity to live through Christ, one that is free, one that is abundant, one that is exciting. Some of the people that live the most exciting lives are the most generous people I know, that they have no hesitation to buy somebody a meal, to take somebody out and to do something for them. And we look at them like, that's so cool, but I'm just telling you, when you step into that, you find a sense of freedom, you find a sense of joy and peace, that you're just like, I constantly give, and I constantly give, and I constantly give, and I'm not discouraged by it, I'm not sad about it, I don't miss anything, I can't stop, right? And when you're doing it because God loves you, and because you're doing it as a sense of praise, you're doing the sense of, I'm just giving praise to God, I'm just giving my all to Him, and he just begins to take and just bless you and show you the riches of who he is. And maybe you don't see the 100-fold check that the televangelist talks about, right? But I can tell you this, there's been so many times that we've given and we've not seen money come back in. 
Let me tell you this, in 11 years of marriage, there's not been one single time that we've gone hungry. There's not one single time that we've ever been with want. There's not one single time that my kids have never been taken care of. We've been in absolute devastating situations. And because of God's faithfulness, because of his church, and because of family that love God and that love us, and all of us having this view that God is in control, and that we're willing to give her all, everything has always been taken care of. So yeah, when you give, you receive. But what you receive, not just monetary blessing necessarily, what you receive is the fullness of God. And when you receive the fullness of God, you can't help but give the fullness of God to everyone that is around you. Second Corinthians, I'm gonna give you homework. You need to go through and read Second Corinthians chapter eight. Just read this and just let it just get into your soul. And you really need to listen to Pastor Fred's sermon because I'm not touching on any of the stuff that we said we we're going to. Second Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth and he's talking about another church in Macedonia. He says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus to encourage your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. And you go through and you look at this and you read this scripture. Paul's is bragging on this church, it's giving. And there's some even more scriptures, if you go deeper into it, it just talks about how poor they were and how they have nothing, but yet they were giving above their means. Not ridiculously, not because they had to, but because they were so aware of who they were now in Christ. Our giving is a response of our awareness of who Christ is, what we've been given in Christ, and the security that we have in Christ. If we go through and we look at this life and we say, you know what, I want to give everything that I got. No matter how little it is, no matter how big it is. Let it be because you are aware of who Christ is and all that he's done for you. Paul goes on this and he says, give what you have and give what you want to give that you think is well. Listen, we're not going to set them up. One of the things I will hit on real quickly is, is that as a church, we, we, we believe in and we talk about and teach on a, on a, a priority percentage giving. Maybe for you, you're at a place where you say 10% is not where I'm at. And I just, maybe it's 2% for you. I want you to step in and I want you to say, God, what is it you have for me? But God, I want to start shifting my focus to saying, God, I want to live my life full on for you in every area that I have. In every area that I have. And I'm telling you, as you do that, you begin to be aware of who God is and what he has for you. This church that Paul's bragging on here, he's just going crazy about it. He's like, these people are out of control. They're just giving like crazy and this is awesome. But the reason they're doing it is because they know who Jesus is to them. And they're not giving because they feel like they have to. They're not giving out an obligation. They're giving out a freedom and joy that they've received from God himself and Jesus Christ. So today what I'm encouraging you in is not to give more. What I'm encouraging you in is to say, man, I want to become that much more aware of all that Jesus has given me. So if you will, bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. Just for a moment of privacy. I want to be aware of you. I joke and I I kid, but I had so much that I wanted to say today. 
hopefully in some of my rambling, you found something that God's spoken to you and it's a seed that's landed in your heart. One of the things I'm so passionate about talking about this is, is because I believe that as a church, as followers of Christ, oftentimes we settle for so little because of the personal impact that it has. I find this minute, tiny little sense of peace in something and we settle for it. As I read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I see this church that refused to settle for anything other than anybody and everybody that needed what they had, being able to see it, have it, and receive it themselves. They couldn't stop at being satisfied for what they had. They had to share it with everybody. My prayer is, my prayer is, is not you just look at your finances differently. My prayer is, is that today, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, you become that much more aware of who He is and what He's given you. He's given everything for you. He's given you the opportunity at living life freely. And so many times we're dominated by our wants and our desires. So many times we're dominated by our ambitions. We're dominated by all of these things. We're dominated by this worry and doubt and insecurity. And, and God has already taken care of all of those things. Jesus came and took all of that on and he set us free from that. Not only did he set us free from that, but he set us free to live the life that he destined us for. And our willingness to open up all that we have for him and for his purposes. It's what shapes everything that we do and that we have. So I pray this, I pray, Lord, that we seek riches and honors and happiness only in the worship and service of you. Father, I pray that our expectations be not set on what we can get, but our expectations be set on what we have received in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you help us, Lord, to live our lives out, to lay everything down for you and you alone. God, knowing that our ability to give, knowing that everything that we have is yours and the way that we can give it and the opportunities that we have to give it are only come from you. God, you are the giver. God, let us be the responders that respond with an awareness of your greatness, your mercy, and your goodness. Father, we love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Will you stand with me and just sing a song as we just worship God and close today out? Giving it all.